Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 264, Finance Friday Edition, where we talk to Jen about the end of the financial independence journey and coming to terms with leaving your job. I'm not comfortable with this whole situation. I'm very nervous. I think, you know, I, Mindy, I hear you talking about your husband who is reluctant to pull the trigger, even when you guys knew you could afford to do it. And we've talked to a financial consultant and they were like, you can do this. But we thought they meant you have to sell everything to be able to do it. And, you know, we're like, they just don't understand the situation. I won't know if I can do this until I talk to Scott and Mindy. <laughs> so... Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my high-level finance knowledge co-host, Scott Trench. Oh, there's something here with alpha and beta that I'm too slow to come up with. But thank you, Mindy. Great to be here. (laughs) Alpha Beta is the shopping center. It's a grocery store in California. Anyway, Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or just kind of tweak your $4 million retirement level portfolio, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott. Today's episode is fantastic and kind of the epitome of our uh, attorney's disclaimer, which says the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants regarding the legal tax and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Jen is our guest today. She is at the end of her financial... In- independence journey. She, in my opinion, has made it. Of course, I cannot guarantee that she will be set for life. I cannot guarantee that she will never run out of money. However, all of my experience, all of my financial knowledge has looked at her portfolio and all of her expenses and all of her everything and said she is probably got the highest chance of success of anybody that we've talked to on this entire all of these financial finance Fridays that we've ever done. So I we talk a lot about some high-level things today. It's more of an advanced show. I hope that if you're not an advanced listener, you still listen for some ideas to plant seeds for when you become an advanced financial uh, financial independence person. When you get to a point where your money is starting to work for you, Um, There's a lot of things that we might introduce to you if you're newer on the journey. There's some things we might introduce if you're later in your journey. The concept of the margin loan, we talk about a little bit. That was something that I learned, what, 20 episodes ago, 60 episodes ago when Tony Robinson was on? He brought it up. So the point of the whole show is just to bring out some ideas and to talk about the fact that she's doing pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, she's doing fantastic. This is one of our, our higher net worth guests that we've ever, we've ever had on the show. And I think, you know, again, like Mindy said, we're not going to be going and defining a, t- a ton of terms and that kind of stuff. We got a little bit more advanced using terms like cost segregation analysis and real estate professional and, you know, um, advanced ways to harvest, you know, a cash from portfolios and that kind of stuff. And we will generally go back and, and work with folks that in, that are at a different level and, and 
would want to explain those different types of things. But for this episode, rolling with that made a lot of sense. We hope you learn a lot. And I think you'll, you'll, you know, this is the end state to aspire to in your financial journey. If you can build something like this, you're going to have a lot of options in your life, like traveling to Europe for maybe an indefinite period to be with your family and have some unique life experiences. All right. I want to give a quick, you know, the real estate podcast does this, the quick tip. Um, we're going to do one of those today because we saw something really fun in the Facebook group. Uh, Daniel Mills, who's actually been a guest on our podcast in the past, he posted an article linking to the U.S. savings bond earns 7% with inflation protection right now. So there is an opportunity out there to get a 7% yield on a savings bond that there's some caveats to research, like the money might be locked up for the first year, yada, yada. But I thought that was a really good tip that I would share with everyone because, hey, there's a place to get a 7% yield on that. I think there's a limit of up to like $10,000 per individual or something to that effect. So do some research on that and learn a little bit more, but uh, might be worthwhile looking into this week, uh, thinking about a U.S. savings bond if you're looking for a uh, a little bit of diversification or another in- investment opportunity, something worth re- researching at least. Yes. And normally I don't like bonds, but I really like a 7% yield bond. Thanks for the tip. And thank you, Daniel, for sharing that with us. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. 
Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Jen and her husband live in a medium cost of living area, and they think that they can retire in the next couple of months, but they want a second opinion. We actually have a lot of things to cover today, so we're going to jump right into it. Jen, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Hi, Mindy and Scott. Thank you so much for and having me on. I'm so excited to be here. We're super excited to talk to you today. Before we jump into your income statement, let's mm-hmm. get a little bit of background about your situation because you do have a bit of a specific situation. So describe your current income and living specifics. <laughs> sure. Um So I have a regular W-2 job that I've been in for a very long time, and my husband is in the military. He's been with them for 24 years or so. Uh, He bounces back between being an active duty person to reservist. Yeah. How does his pension work? Because like, how much time does he have active duty and how much time does he have reservist? Yeah. So normally with active duty, um, we would be looking at, you know, you retire at 20, 20 years and you can start collecting your pension. And, you know, some people will take that and, and you can get a second job and you're OK, you know, getting both streams of income. With reservists, uh, they have a certain age at which they can start to draw down their uh, start to take the pension. And so every year that he um gets assigned an active duty year, it brings down the number of years he has to wait before his pension starts. So at this point, I think we're at 56, uh, where he can start to to collect his pension. And then the pension would be an average of the last three service years, I believe. Okay. And how old is he right now? And and how how long is that? (laughs) Um, (laughs) He is 47. Okay, so about nine years. uh, Nine years before he before he can start collecting uh, his pension. Right. Yep. Okay. That's right. Okay, so let's look at income and expenses. How much is coming in, and where is it going? Okay. Sure. Uh, So my side is pretty easy. Uh, W two wise, after all of the you know retirement is taken out and taxes and benefits and stuff. I see about seven thousand of that. Um, I make about one thirty to one forty a year. That's including the annual bonus. And then my husband, when he's active duty, like he is right now, he's about the same. So, but we have an interesting way we divide up our paycheck. So we do the eighty percent to the joint fund, and twenty percent you get to keep in your own account and spend however you'd like, and no questions asked. You know. That sort of thing. So really of his income, I only see four thousand a month, no matter how much he makes, we just let that go at, at four thousand goes into the, the joint account. So that's the regular W two stuff. And then we have about six thousand that comes in from syndication cash flow. Per month. Per month. I love the way you set that up. Obviously you you guys both earn really good incomes with that. And but I, I love the 
I get to spend two, three thousand bucks and you don't get to, <laughs> to, to take a look um, with that. I think that's a really healthy way to approach joint finances, uh, and, and especially in your circumstances where you're both earning um, similar amounts and, and have that, that freedom with that. That's, well, that's really actually cool. started because we weren't. And when he's in his normal civilian job, um, there is a bigger disparity in our incomes. And so he is somewhere in the maybe 90,000 and which is why the 80, 20 felt more fair instead of a set amount because it was 80% of your income, no matter what you make, you know, and you get to keep 20% of that. So it, it really came about when, you know, we had kids and it was the, well, you know, who's paying for what stuff. And we patterned it after some friends who, um, had this set up and we felt like this really was a good way to avoid money fights. So this was a conscious decision. You had a discussion about this. You decided together, this is how we're going to handle our finances. Yes. Right. Yep. And we went to a single, one single joint credit card and we put everything on that credit card. So you can see it at the end of the month, you know, who spent what, if there's any question about what it is, we can, you know, ping each other real quick and say, Hey, you know, what did you spend at such and such store? I just want to make sure it's not fraudulent, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and then it gets paid from the joint account. So, you know, there's never really any problem there. Awesome. Could, could you, could you give me, because, you know, um, I'm, I am. I get a sneak peek about your your assets here. With that, could, could we maybe get like a three to five minute background about how you got into this position, um, in your personal finance journey? Yeah, sure. It's kind of interesting. We actually the um, the liquid cash side of things and the syndication stuff all really grew in the last year. Uh, we used to own rental property, so we had thirteen doors, mostly in Washington State. And in this last year of COVID, we actually decided to liquidate everything. So we went from being, you know, really busy, full-time working uh, folks to uh, with with 12, you know, local tenants who we would try to manage on our own. We weren't using property managers. I was also, we would buy them. They were underutilized. They were uh, older homes that needed a lot of renovating. So we felt like um, after two years of being back in Washington, we felt like every weekend was spent demoing, <laughs> cleaning up yards and cleaning up after tenants or, you know, answering the plumbing calls and doing all of this. And so um, just this last year, actually, we sold off all all 12 doors from Washington. We still have one rental in um in another state, but a, a single family that's really easy to manage. But we sold all of that, and then we put it all into uh, syndications. So that's that's where the bulk of it comes from. So let, let me let me just ask a couple of probing questions here because I, I have a sneak peek here, and it looks like your net worth is north of three million dollars. Is that is that right? That's correct. Awesome. And you guys have really good incomes right now, but it sounds like that was not the case even just a few years ago for at least for both of you guys with that. Could you give us a, a, a really high level overview of your careers on that and how you accumulated those 13 properties to then redeploy into syndications? Yeah, it goes way back. I mean, I, I, we did it kind of the traditional way. I mean, we saved up 20 25% and we would just do it slow, low and slow, right? We, actually, um, my first uh, first home was a condo in the Bay Area and used family financing. <laughs> so basically, my my parents, they uh, took a HELOC out and were able to give me a head start because they could put the, 
the 20% down. And this is before I knew how to do any of this, that I could do a 3% down or, you know, anything fancy. We just did 20%. That's all we knew. We did 20% down on this condo and I house hacked it without knowing that I was house hacking. You know, there was, I was by uh, the university and I could rent out the room furnished and I got, you know, $900 for the room I had a two bedroom and, and so I, all I needed was one bedroom and I got to rent out the other half. Then I met my husband and we had to move because of the military and, you know, the housing crash happened and I couldn't sell it. So we became landlords and we found a fantastic renter who ended up being in the unit for five years and but because those first couple of years were so easy she was you know very was just hands off I never had to do anything with her my husband became open to the idea of rental properties and he had um be, being in the military he had deployed a couple of times and had a nice little nest egg saved up and didn't know what to do with it I mean he had it in cds and you know maybe this is 2008 so maybe you got 5% interest. I don't even, I don't even know if it was that good back then. But, um, you know, we were in Southern California at the time and he knew he wanted roots in Washington. So we bought, you know, we used his saved money to buy a home there. And because we weren't living in the area at the time, we were able to get it as a second home. So we did not need 25% down because it was a second home. And there was no requirement to live in there for a year. We could rent it out. So that became our second rental. We moved back into the area and it just, coming from California, you move into Washington and you think, wow, the housing prices are, you know, it's so affordable here that I was like, it just felt like they're on discount. And it was, it was 2012, 2013, 2014. So we were able to buy another single family home um, that was 315,000. And even at 25% down, you know, again, we just kind of had the savings for that because of, I think we both lived pretty frugally. We both come from fairly um, lower middle class, really blue collar families who, you know, we didn't live extravagantly. So it wasn't a big deal for us to not spend our entire paychecks the whole while. Um, and so from there, it was like some 1031s and savings and um we scaled up and I found bigger pockets and Brandon Turner's, you know, discussion about the multi multiplying factor. So instead of buying single families, I was like, Oh, what am I doing? So we went to small multis and bought duplex and triplex. And that's how we ended up at 13 units over the course of, I mean, five years, I think five, six, it was a long, I mean, it was a long process to get there. What I'm gathering is a 15 to 20 year personal finance journey here um, with that, uh, between with you, with you and your, your, your husband, I imagine your income is increasing during this period up to the 130, 140 that you're mm -hmm. earning today with that. Um, there's that, that's really interesting nuance with the deployments. Cause they, I think you, you get um, ha like additional pay for those types of things. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, a nest egg that he, that, that um, he'd accumulated um, with that. There's a little bit of family help to get started, but this is a, this is an awesome, highly repeatable story for a lot of folks with this. That is, no, there's nothing, nothing fancy <laughs> about it. It's just a, a, a 15 year story of, of hard work and, and making some smart investments over that. And, and building up a, a pretty strong position that we've got today. Yeah, and taking and, and selling those um, single families or those single units and turning them into multis really helped us to scale up um, 
pretty quickly in those last, then it was, we were buying one, maybe two a year and really changing the paradigm, changing some of them from long-term rentals to short-term rentals to really amp up the cash flow, reinvesting it, the entire amounts back into the business. We didn't use any of that money for personal spending. Um, And so by 2021, you know, the housing market in Washington was hot and we knew we were moving. Landlord laws in Washington was getting to be more questionable for us. And so we just decided it was time. We'd already started to dabble in the syndication world. So yeah, that became our primary focus. One last question here before we get into this kind of stuff, because um, I think everyone has a lot to learn from what you've done here. Actually, a two-part question. One, um, you've alluded to it already that it was just a lot of work and all that kind of stuff, but can you walk us through the decision to liquidate that entire portfolio (laughs) that you'd built and move over to, to syndications? with that and then mechanically how you went about that did you how did you learn how to invest in syndications and did you do things that were to um be tax efficient like 1031 exchanges yeah um where do i start the we did do the 1031 so the first one was the condo um the first property that i lived in you know california it was a one our one outlier at the time and you know housing housing prices there had recovered since 2008 10, and this is probably 2016 now. And it just felt like our, our tenant, the long-term tenant that we had put in there from the time we moved um, to Southern California, she was leaving. So it felt like the right time to do it. So we did 1031 that and into a, I can't remember, a duplex or a triplex. Um, so we, we took advantage of that probably twice. I think we took a single family and we also used 1031 into a triplex. Um it wasn't until we heard of bigger pockets money uh, no not money um the the bigger pockets real estate podcast where i think you had Kathy Fetke from Real Wealth Network on and then you had another one with uh, Joe Fairless Ashcroft Capital and that i that i learned about these other passive routes um so at that point i think we had just maybe hit over one, one and a half million in net worth. So we qualified as a um, accredited investor. So we got on calls with um, with the various people at the company. Uh, I think I spoke directly to Joe at the time and kind of just felt them out, you know, to understand um, what they were about, what their company was about, where they're investing, what their strategy was. Um, and I think it was a lot like what you guys covered in your um uh, the money uh, podcast you guys did on syndications recently, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But um, you know, you're. I think Mindy has has found that uh, for us. That is Jay Scott, episode yes. two hundred and nineteen of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. You mentioned Kathy Fetke; she was on episode two hundred and twenty-five of the Real Estate podcast, and Joe Fairless was on episode two hundred and twenty-seven of the Real Estate podcast. So you can see, like, I, I live and I, I live by your voices in my head. Like, I, all your guests, I've reached out to and I've touched, you know, touched base with them because I just, you know, I found the passive side to be so interesting because our work life is already so busy. We have three kids. We're running around, you know, the scout meetings and like swim practice or this and that, that, you know, adding in the remodeling and things like that just got to be too much for us. So we started off with small amounts. I mean... 
the minimum required with each of them into one project just to see how it went. And so I think with uh, Joe Fairless, it's been since 2016. We've been with him and we've grown our investments with him. And now we're at about 1.6 million in syndications. Uh, a lot of that, about 600,000 of that came from the equity of the sold rental properties. So we were able to 1031 our uh, rental property proceeds into DSTs. Uh, they don't earn quite as much as the other syndications, but it gave us a way to avoid taxes and still be in real estate to hedge against inflation and uh, be hands off and get regular cash flow and then hopefully appreciation at the end. I love it. Th thank you for sharing that uh, with us. We can go back to the, this. This I, I think it's super valuable for folks when when we have someone. Um, you, you may you may have the the highest net worth of any guest we've had so far that we've done on the on the on the Finance Friday. So so I think it's really valuable to hear the story of how you got there um, with this. So thank yeah. you for sharing. I that. mean, I think some of it's luck. Uh, you know, I know we don't we don't say it's all luck, but you know, we invested on the West Coast where equity just is. Uh, you know, it just really grew over those five or six years. And that really helped out. It's luck and it's taking action. For the last 10 years, I've seen a lot of people poo-pooing the West Coast as a place where you can't make money. Um, but I, I see millions of dollars in net worth here generated from West Coast style investing. So I, I think that's the old appreciation versus cash flow game, you know. Um, and, and they've been saying the West Coast is overpriced for the last 30 years, right? I mean, this is, you know, you talked to one of our longtime forum posters, Jay Heinrichs, on the forums was like, oh yeah, it was overpriced back then. You know, but <laughs> I still bought a bunch of property and, you know, that, and, and so I think, I think that there, there's, there's something to, to, to think through there. You can't bank on appreciation, but you can't ignore it as a potential factor either because it's, it may cost you millions of dollars and opportunity cost with that. So thank you again for sharing that and, and congrats on all the, all the success here. Let's go through your income statement and net worth statement here and understand the position and then figure out how we can help you with that. So we just talked about income. Um, we've got the, the about 14,000 in after tax income from both the jobs. And we have about the 6,000 incremental on top of that from the syndication investments that you're, you're saying is, is, is about what you can peg um, the cash flow from those at. I actually, I think I have it as 17,000 on average. So we have 4,000 from my husband that I see in the joint account. I don't know how much extra he takes home. Um, and then I have seven thousand for me, and then six thousand from the. Oh, is that? Are you not counting the cash flow from the syndication? Nope. Thank you. That's perfect. Seventeen thousand in after-tax income or, or, or spendable right. cash flow is coming in each each month. Is yeah. what I've got. Is, yeah, is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Great. I think I misspoke on the on the seven thousand each. Um, okay. And then on the ex, on the expenses side, how much are you spending, and is there anything that we should look at there? This side is going to seem heavy. <laughs> and large. So here we go. Um, our home, it, this is, it's everything is escrowed. So this is pity, right? 3,200. We owe about 545,000 at 2.8 or 2.9%. I do have a Tesla. I know I might get some hate for that. And that's 1200 a month. We decided not to buy it outright because the interest on that is 2.5%. And I owe 68,000 on it. Groceries, we probably spend about twelve hundred a month. Um, daycare for at least one more year. I have a two and a half year old. Um, is twelve hundred dollars. Uh, utilities uh, is a little bit on the high side. We have five hundred 
pegged for utilities because our electricity bill is so high. We have kids activities at 400, uh, restaurants 250, car insurance is 250, home maintenance 300, internet and mobile 100. And then the rest is kind of small. I mean, we've got some subscription things maybe at 100, 150. And so what is that total to? Um, when I look at, so that's the hard part. And this is why I'm not sure if I can pull the trigger <laughs> when I want to, because I feel like our monthly expenses fluctuate so much. Like we might have like a home project where right now I'm putting in a, a patio cover and that's going to cost me, you know, so many thousands of dollars, but that's not normal. And that's just like that one month or I painted the house and that was $3,000, you know? And so I can't look at every month and say, this is how much, but if I had to average it out, I think 9,000 is fair. Okay. So you, you are spending $9,000 on average, but again, let's go back to that income. Are you bringing in $3,000 a month? No, you're bringing in $17,000 a month. What do we say, Scott? Spend less than you earn. You're spending $9,000, which Mm -hmm. seems like a lot if you just make that statement. But then you bring back that I make $17,000. Well, you're still spending way less than you earn. So could you cut your expenses? Absolutely. You don't need a $1,200 a month car payment. But can you afford a $1,200 a month car payment? Absolutely. That's my mortgage payment. But that doesn't matter because you're fine. I'm not making $17,000 a month. So that's okay. Your expenses are personal to you. And I saw this. I'm like, without context, I saw your $1,200 a month in car. What is that? So I added it all up. I'm like, well, if she got rid of the car loan and the daycare, she'd be at $5,500. Well, when you get deployed to... uh overseas are you going to take your car with you you probably aren't although i don't know can you what side of the road do they drive on there daycare might go away if you can't work over there maybe you stay home with the kids um maybe you sell the house and then you don't have the mortgage either like your expenses are fluid to look at your expenses and say you have nine thousand dollars well what's okay what's what is it uh 25 times your expenses so 25 times nine thousand oh wait no i'm doing this math wrong um, 9,000 times 12 is 108 times 25 is 2.7 million. And how much do you have? More than that. So you've made it. It just doesn't feel like it. Like I, I look at our accounts and I'm not sure I, I can feel the growth every month. Like it, it feels very risky. We do have some in brokerages and I don't know if, you know, we should keep them there, especially if I decide to retire early because I don't, I don't really get the whole pulling a 4% and paying yourself to, like, it's easy for me to understand it through syndication. I get the check in the mail every, you know, the rest of it is still sort of, sort of earning. It's, it's still, still compounding on itself because the, the GPs are doing their work to improve the property. And so there'll be this big capital event, hopefully at the end, but with stocks, I feel like it's so risky. <laughs> well, it past performance is not indicative of future gains, but look at where your income is. Let's take your income out of the equation. We've got your seven. We're just going to throw that away. Now we've got hubs four, 
and the additional income of six from the uh, syndication, four plus six is 10, that's still more than you're spending at nine. You're not going to be able to add a roof on the back porch or whatever you said every month, but conveniently, you don't have to do that every month. You can't paint the house every month for $3,000 because you're only going to have $1,000 left over. But with those numbers and this $9,000 a month in spending, you can still save $1,000 a month without you having to work. So based on these numbers, without cutting anything, you can keep all the things you have and still retire because your passive income has, and your husband's income, has, is more than what you're spending. Now, if your husband were to retire too, without any source of income, you would have to change your expenses because spending $9,000 a month and having $6,000 a month coming in means that you are, there's $3,000 a month going out. You would have to make that up somehow. You could very easily do that through your investment portfolio, which is still, which we haven't discussed yet. I am jumping ahead, but there's a lot in the stock market that you have. So I don't see a way that you are doing bad or that you could not retire today in any one of these options. But I'm getting ahead of ourselves. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. Well, let's go through the investment portfolio. Yeah, let's go through the investment portfolio next. So we know we're spending nine and bringing in 17, um, which is great. Um, that's that's more than almost a 50% savings rate, which is, you know, fantastic. And you should think that for a long period of time, it sounds like. Um, so assets wise, um, we have about 590,000 in brokerages, 110,000 with the um, stock purchase plan or work, a work purchase plan. So I don't get a discount. I, I've heard you say something about folks getting a 15% discount when they buy. I don't get that. I just don't get charged a fee to buy. <laughs> Some of this, uh, that stock purchase plan was grants. So they were at half the strike price, but our company has not done as well as um, I would have liked them to have done. So it's 110 there. Um, my 401k, uh, so I didn't realize we had a Roth 401 until a couple of years ago. We may not have actually even had a Roth until a couple of years ago. So I have a total of 956000 in my 401. Of that, 40000 in the Roth 401. So I've kind of changed my asset or my deductions. I still put a little bit towards the 401k because the traditional, because I felt like I needed the tax break. Um, and then, you know, I didn't have anything in Roth. And so I contribute to the, the rest of the percentage. Our company matches um, dollar for dollar up to 6%. So that's where that one is. Um, so like I said, syndication is about 1.6 million. I do some peer-to-peer lending at twenty-five thousand. We have we still have about two hundred thousand in cash to deploy, um, which some of it, you know, would be our reserve, but that's more than we need for reserve. And so I'm I'm very anxious about the fact that we've got so much cash sitting um, underutilized. 
Uh, so our primary home, we do have equity in it, even though we owe 500 and something. Uh, we have about 300,000 in equity here. Uh, we own a rental home in uh, Alabama and we have about 50,000 equity there. And I didn't even talk about the cash flow from that. It's like $500. So like I said, that goes into our business account. We don't see it. It all just kind of compounds on itself. If we need to pay for something, it comes out from the business account. So I don't really even consider it. Um, and then the military pension, I said, uh, it'll kick in in about eight eight or nine years. And that he thinks it'll be around 3000 a month. Um, my work pension is tiny because they quit contributing to it, you know, a few years after I started working. So that's only at 43,000. Um, I have an HSA at 40,000 because, um, I can't contribute to that anymore either since we get the military insurance healthcare. Um, and so you can't double dip. <laughs> Um, and then we have a 529, which is at 43,000. And we have a GI bill that we can hand down to one of the kids as well. <gasps> what What do you pay that net worth at? I'm, I, I can't calculate it that, that quickly, <laughs> which is a good problem um, with this. So what, 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 what do you pay it at with all those items? Uh, personal capital says we are, <laughs> we are at almost 4 million. Okay. And then your pension, which is going to be 36,000 annually, um, and governed, guaranteed by the, 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 the federal government, um, it's a, a federal pension, I imagine, military, military pension right. with that. Um, you know, let, let's call that another million dollar asset that will be realized in eight or nine years with that, since it's, uh, essentially an annuity at that, at that level, um, with that, although maybe it's worth less than that today because it's, you can't access it, but in nine years it'll be worth an incremental, probably 1 million. I, I would. That's my back of the napkin. <laughs> he does have a railroad okay, so four, uh, pension. $5 million net. He has a railroad pension and 401 there too that I don't count. Again, a lot of his funds I don't really count. They're a little bit smaller and I don't know that it makes a huge difference to our bottom line. But It doesn't. Send it okay. to me. <laughs> <laughs> so before, Scott, I know you're going to make some really amazing point. Before you do, I want to point out that his military pension is three thousand a month, and mm -hmm. your syndications currently are six thousand a month. That equals nine thousand, which is your current expenses. Mm -hmm. Which is another way that the math adds up to say you can retire. Now, Scott, make your brilliant point. Well, well, I, look, I, I think I think this is really interesting, right? Because you know, you you have you have soared past the finish line for what I think a lot of folks would set their, their financial goals at with this. And I, I know based on what I'm talking to you with this kind of stuff, that most of these assumptions or many of them are conservative valuations. Like that, that 1.6 million you have invested in the syndications, that's what you've invested in the syndications. I bet you not what they're actually, they've actually accreted to if they've appreciated in value with that. I bet your home, uh, home equity assumption is conservative. I bet your rental property valuation is conservative with that. You know, I bet you that you're, the, the, you're not even counting certain assets because you're, I'm just going to use that as padding with that. Is, is that accurate in terms of the conservatism? Yes, in your position? but that's because it, I feel like it fluctuates so much. Like all of that is funny money until, unless it's, you know, I don't know, cash flow hitting, like, 
it's that old mentality, right? Of that W2 that hits your account every month. You, it's reliable. You think it's reliable. You, it's just, it's consistent and it's there. The, like our brokerage is fluctuate, right? There could be 500,000 on a, on a bad red day when like COVID, oh, variant hit. And oh my gosh, right. We lost a hundred thousand in a day. And or or one of the syndications, you know, the hurricane hit the apartment building and they never cash flow after that. Well, I, I think it's I think it's a fascinating um uh like psychological challenge. We talk about the four levers of personal finance, right? We have spend less, earn more, invest, and create, right? And what I think is is fun or or funny in, in, in your situation, like the, the challenge is that the earn more lever is very irrelevant at this point relative, you know, it's, it's ceasing to become the relevant option, right? You start, when you start off, it's, it's how much, how little do I spend? Then it's, can I earn, maximize that earning potential, you know, for, for many who start from that median spot. Then as the investments pile up, that investment approach means more and more um, with that. And then there's always an option to create or start businesses with that. What, what I, what I'm here thinking, seeing in your situation is you're, you're bringing in 130 K 140 annually pre-tax, and post tax, that's probably what, like ninety, ninety thousand dollars in cash. Um, with that, I mean, your portfolio at four to five million dollars at a at a five percent, you know, uh, yield on that is going to bring in two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So it's more meaningful to manage your portfolio by a lot than it is to bring in active income at this point, which I think is is a challenge and it's, you know, and, and what is that, you know, there's going to be good years. There's going to be bad years, you know, with, with those types of things, it's going to fluctuate as, as you pointed out. But I think that's the, the lever, the levers changing on you. Um, and maybe, maybe you haven't even noticed it or thought about it quite, quite that way with, with the past, but that's, I think your, your reality right now, great problem and create a situation that I'm comfortable with. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know that I'm comfortable. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with this whole situation. I'm very nervous. I think, you know, I, Mindy, I hear you talking about your husband who is reluctant to pull the trigger, even when you guys knew you could afford to do it. And we've talked to a financial consultant and they were like, you can do this. But we thought they meant you have to sell everything to be able to do it. And you know, we're like, they just don't understand the situation. I won't know if I can do this until I talk to Scott and Mindy. <laughs> so. I live in a very weird Phi bubble. I live in the same town that Mr. Money Mustache lives in. People come into this town. People move here to live near him. I live by a bunch of Phi people. And it's, sometimes hard for me to remember that not everybody has this huge reinforcement community, but all of my friends are unemployed. Like I know so <laughs> many people who have reached their position of financial independence, have left their jobs, have continued their, their finances continued to grow. Their investments continue to grow. Um, some of them have a spouse with a job. You're in a really great position right now. My husband calls himself wife-fi because his wife still works. <laughs> you are hubby-fi, we'll call it that, because your husband will continue to be able to generate income. Yeah. Um, I have friends who they've both quit and they have gone and traveled. Go back and listen to episode 55 and 55 and a half with Bryce and Christy from Millennial Revolution. They left their jobs 
And I think the next day the stock market crashed or something like that. They had a horrible set of circumstances immediately following their retirement. And they were able to weather the storm through their cash cushion and yield shield and something else that rhymes. And But they are able to easily e- explain how they did it. And they also tested their portfolio over the course of three years before retiring. They're like, okay, we're going to keep making all this money, but we have enough saved up. We believe we're going to start withdrawing from our portfolio and we truly can live off of it. I have a friend, Todd, he lives up the road and I'm going to have him on the show to talk about life after retirement because we don't really focus enough on that topic. And it is difficult to make the transition from I have a a job and I'm saving for FI to, what am I going to do? I mean, you make really great money. We didn't didn't applaud you for your fabulous salary. Now you're willingly leaving that. You're just saying, "Eh, I don't want to make money anymore. I'm going to quit. And that that can be tough. Um, It took Carl a whole year to come to terms with that. And then when he quit, two weeks later, his entire job was canceled. So if that had happened two weeks before, maybe he wouldn't have been as comfortable with it as when it was his choice. Um, But you've got a really great set of circumstances in like several different viewpoints. I don't see your situation as a bad one, although I do have a question about your syndications. Currently, they're sending you $6,000 a month. Are these long-term hold syndications or are they value add and then they're going to sell them? Syndications. It's a variety. Because, so what so, happens when those syndications sell? Um, what are your plans to do with that money when it sells? It's becoming harder and harder to find a good deal. So are these syndicators now, like they used to promise 14% returns and now I'm seeing a lot of eights and sevens and you know, some of these deals, you're like, why are you even buying this property? This looks like a terrible investment. Um, and, you know, some of these some of these syndications are and I haven't looked at anything that you've you've mentioned, like I'm not currently investing with Joe or Kathy, so I'm not like talking smack about them. I don't know anything about what they're offering, but the ones that I'm seeing just aren't don't seem to be that great. So what are your plans to replace that $6,000 or whatever part of that isn't currently um, going to be held long-term? It's kind of interesting, actually. So the 6000 is what we currently bring in. Um, but like I told you, we when we sold our properties this year, we pushed a lot of those proceeds, the ones that we did in 1031. So we decided to pay cash on some of the properties that we um, didn't own for as long and didn't make over, if we didn't make over 200 some odd thousand on the sale, we decided to eat the tax on that so that we could put it into syndications, which would uh, give us a better return than the DST type. So we have two big ones that are, you know, um, they're more stabilized properties. The DSTs earn us four and a half, five percent, nothing great. Um, and they're 10 year holds. We just started. So we have a long runway with that one still. And then the other ones are shorter, anywhere between three and five year. And we've been, we started almost five years ago. So actually we're just starting to reap the benefits of those 
capital events starting to come in. And with some of the syndicators, they've given us the option to roll it into the next deal which um, have been on similar terms. So fortunately, or or they've actually created funds um, and, you know, we're kind of split between, uh, like, because we know we're retiring early, we want the cash flow up front. So we get the 10% um, cash flow as opposed to the lower 7% with the, the potential of the big earning of the capital event on the end. So we, we split our funds between uh, those different options. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so I say 6,000 today, but again, we have been investing um, throughout all of 2021. And so that means that some of them actually haven't even started to cash flow yet. So in 2022, I anticipate another bump of maybe two to 3,000 more in cash flow from the investments that we made this year that will start to show up next year. And then we really, um, we won't see those capital. We may see one or two capital events, you know, every year kind of because of the, the staggered timeframes on all of them. And, and we're with private syndicators. We're with, um, different platforms on, you know, the, the different, you know, big platforms that you see equity multiples and realty moguls and portfolio. So that that's the plan so far. Is this where I get to to say I told you so on the uh, uh, on she's being very conservative <laughs> with the estimate she's putting in from her syndication portfolio? <laughs> I'm going to point out Scott um, how, no, how perfect. I'm so, going to point out to you Scott how easy she is able to rattle off these answers. Um, she seems like a, a researcher or a numbers nerd. I bet she's got <laughs> spreadsheets for days. I'm not as great as I, as I'd like to be with the spreadsheets for sure, but. Because oh my I God, how good do you want to be? <laughs> <laughs> I worry about these things so much. So I'm, I'm like your husband and I look at the, I look at the charts every day, the stocks every day, even if I'm not going to trade it. I need, I know daily <laughs> where my stocks are. <laughs> good. Good. If you enjoy that, good. It's partly a sickness, I think. Let, let, let's deal with the, the, the immediate future. When, when are you moving to Europe? That should be August, so this summer. Okay, so you're you moving to Europe and you can't continue your, your W-2 job when you go to Europe. Yeah, there's not the option to work. Yeah, to me, I think this has been a great discussion and I think we've learned a lot from you. But I, I think the path forward that I'm seeing here is incredibly straightforward with this. You guys, you, you, the, the best thing that you guys can do right now, in my opinion, is map out what it's going to cost. How long are you going to live in Europe? Um, he's there for a school, so it's not that long, six, seven months. But I would like to turn that into a year or two to give the kids an opportunity to bounce around Europe and uh, learn history firsthand. Great. And so I think the best thing you can do is say, I'm going to construct my, my you have very detailed understanding of your current expense profile. What's it going to look like when you go to Europe? Are you going to sell the home? Are you going to sell the car? Are you going to do that? What What is your expense profile going to look like? And how do you have plenty of padding so you can go you know, and see all the things you want to see, whether that's the the Louvre or, you know, travel around and hit 15 countries while you're, while you're there or, um, go to sporting events. Um, I, I would want to see the, the rugby world cup, um, which will be in 2023. Um, so like, like in France, you know, so like that, that, those would be things that like I would, I would put in place, um, 
you know, and, and go through. And that exercise will tell you a lot. It probably will be around the same cost as your current lifestyle expenses with that. And you don't have a choice <laughs> because your current job is not going to allow you to, to do that. And at least in terms of keeping your current job, like, and with what we've kind of discussed today, why not take the six months and take a sabbatical, right? You've had a, uh, what sounds like a very uh, continuous career here for a long period of time. If you decide to restart your career six months after taking a sabbatical, no one's going to bat an eye about that. I went to Europe after working for 15 years in my previous job, the jobs, and then toured around with my kids and well, while, my, while my husband was deployed there, that is a wonderful thing to put on a resume, not a detractor from that. And you can always go back to the job. But I think what you'll find is that managing your portfolio during that period, well, you'll, you'll realize just how irrelevant, not it's not irrelevant, but how much less relevant the earned income from your job will be compared to the, 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 increasing levels of sophistication, I am sure you will continue to apply in your free time to your investment approach with these syndications and other things with that. Um, that's a that's a better allocation of time in building your net worth anyways, um, and probably mostly passive. But I, I could see your your housing expense dropping to a large degree or, or staying about the same. I can see your car payment de decreasing substantially during that six to seven months. I can see your the cost for child care declining unless you choose to, to, to do that um, in that period. And you may not need anywhere near that 9,000 to fund that, that, that. And then second, I don't mind you having two, 200,000 in cash at all uh, on that. That's 5% of your portfolio, right? So it seems like a lot of cash, but that's like, that would be the, the equivalent of someone with a hundred thousand dollars in net worth having $5,000 in cash. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't actually think that that's a, a crazy amount to ha to have in cash, you can you can always drop it to a certain degree, but you know with what you're doing here, that that could be a responsible choice, especially as a syndication investor. You might want to look at some of those opportunities as they come up from time to time and have some of that on hand. So, um, how's that for for? That's certainly the struggle. I um, as I get to my last couple hundred of thousand, <laughs> I you know get opportunities that come through the the inbox and um. Now I'm much more careful with how I allocate it because I feel like these are my last few choices, <laughs> at least for a while. Or, you know, buying another, sometimes I listen to your Bigger Pockets uh, real estate podcast and I, I get the itch to get back into the game. And I think, oh, you know, I should have a bigger nest egg. And then I look at my 401k and I think, well, that's just sitting there. And I don't feel like that's necessarily doing me a huge favor you know, maybe I should be making better use of that. Here's here's another another fun one to consider and why, again, evidence that maybe even more application and that you're actually going to build more wealth by leading more, more, you know, if you were to stop working for the six months and spend half of that time, 20 hours a week, just getting more advanced with your approach here, here's one mental model. I don't know if this will work or not, but something to explore. If you become a real estate professional, you know, by meeting that minimum requirement, syndications often have huge losses uh, in the first year. That's by design, right? So if you're investing in syndication and, it, and, and you 
let's say let's say you get a bunch of money back all at once and you plow all this into syndications and they do a cost segregation analysis um sorry this is a very advanced episode and i can't go over all of these terms but cost segregation essentially allows you to to declare a lot of depreciation for those listening on this so you, you invest let's say you invest 400 grand in syndications that do these cost segregation analysis and you have a loss of 500 grand um on that on your tax return that year that is a great opportunity uh, and you're a real estate professional to move a lot of that 401k money out and into a Roth. That's a great opportunity for a conversion of that type with that. That would theoretically be potentially be possible. We'd have to talk that is beyond my expertise. I've never done that. So it'd be like where an advanced tax counsel could come into play. But those are the kinds of things that might be really interesting to you over the, over the years. If you wanted to move that money from like the 401k to the, the Roth, you can have a year Great, my tax return is going to show a negative five hundred thousand dollars loss. I traveled to Europe, didn't earn any income. My husband still earned income. I got some syndication income, but that was way offset, and now I've rolled three hundred k into that. Those are really advanced tactics that I think may apply to your position with this. And then, once it's in the Roth, uh, can I invest? Would you recommend invest any more into real estate? I, I'm, I probably almost fifty fifty with equities and and real estate but if i convert the um 401k money then i would be leaning a lot heavier in real estate i think you can answer that question for you much better than i can with that i think you know there's a point to grow and there's a point to diversify and you're probably leaning into the diversify point because you're like i want to just sustain this for an indefinite period of time with a huge margin of safety with that i think you i think you can do that to a large extent. So it's whatever you feel is a very comfortable, diversified uh, portfolio would be my guess. But yeah, I think that that makes perfect sense. If you have all this stuff in syndications, keeping all that disproportionately in stocks would be a logical move on the path to diversification. I'm going to lean on my attorney and say, you should seek your own advice from professional (laughs) advisors, including lawyers and accountants regarding the legal Mm -hmm. tax and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. This specific one, because there is the potential for an enormous benefit and tax deduction and depreciation versus income, and neither of us are CPAs, this is where spending even $10,000 on a CPA to get advice to be able to make some $500,000 a move that saves you hundreds in taxes, thousands in taxes, this is a really good bit of, uh, that's money well spent in my opinion. So I would say if this is something you're considering, and I know you're going to do your own research first, if it sounds like this is something that you're going to be able to do, talk to a CPA before you make your big moves and have them give you advice on how you can structure that best. So that when it comes time to make that move, you reap all the benefits of that particular uh, tax deduction, depreciation, whatever. I don't even know the right words. D word. <laughs> Absolutely. And by the way, I am by no means telling you to do that. I'm I'm simply saying options like that may be available to you and they will help you build your net worth after tax, potentially far at a far with far greater leverage than your day job based on your overall position at this point um, with this. And so that's just the framework is that lever of learning about your, managing your investment portfolio, which you're already good at, but becoming a master um, is probably 
better, a better use of time than working your day job at this point, based on what I'm seeing here, those op, the options like that may become available. Yeah, I, to you. No, I think that's a really great point to, to bring up, Scott, is that this, if you are invested in these syndications and you're doing all of these like big depreciation moves or have the opportunity to do these, you could have a huge tax advantage to to swap that out. But yeah, definitely talk to a CPA. I have a question for you regarding your car and house while you're in Europe. When you said you were going to Europe, I thought this was going to be a long-term thing, but one year definitely isn't a, oh, you should sell your house kind of thing. I thought it was like four years. So with one year, what are you going to do with your car and your house? Are you going to rent out your car on Turo and put your house on Airbnb? I considered. I have floated the idea with my husband, not so much Airbnb, but um, with the traveling nurses, because we did short-term rentals, the 90 days. Um, so we, I liked that idea. My husband's not as comfortable with folks being in our house with our things. Um, so I'm still working on him. <laughs> I'm working on him for, for those angles to reduce our expenses while we're out. Um, and, you know, now that we're even talking about it, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to selling my car for the time being and just kind of picking that back up when we got back, depending on, you know, maybe I downsized. I have the biggest um, one right now, the best, biggest and most expensive one, but that was because we were shuttling things around to the rental properties in addition to the three kids. So I felt like I needed the bigger one and, and maybe I can get the more, you know, more cost effective one when we come back and I can reduce, get rid of that payment altogether while we're gone. I'm going to give you another research opportunity <laughs> and say that car, there's that chip shortage and cars are becoming a little bit more accessible, but they're still really difficult. Carl talks about Tesla all day, every day. And he said the wait list is now 12 months. So perhaps you sell the car when you get ready to go, but put yourself on the wait list now. <laughs> That's true. And just, you know, keep putting yourself on the waiting list. It's like $100 to get on the waiting list, but it is it is a significant wait. So be aware of that. Um, I don't know what Turo's policy is. Uh, I know that they are very, very, very careful with the cars and they take care of their owners. At least they have in the past. Craig Curlap was on the show. He rented out his Prius and somebody, he's like, this is going to be my last rental. And then I'm just going to take it off Turo. And then that last person trashed it, got in a huge car accident and totaled it. And they gave him a lot more money than it was worth. Um, I don't know how that works with Tesla because they have their own special insurance. Um, so definitely a research opportunity, but I know that Teslas are desirable. Maybe you know that too. So you could make a lot of money and then keep it when you get back, keep it until your new one comes. Um, so you know, that's research opportunity. Idea. I think he he might be more open to us renting out the car <laughs> as opposed to the home. Um, if they don't, do they have to pick it up at your house? No. Oh, yeah. I mean. I, I just want to point out here that we, we do need to focus on these because they will be meaningful to your Europe your, your, your Europe trip and potentially your retirement plan in general, because half of your current expenses, half of the 9,000 is between your mortgage yeah. and the car payment, and then utilities another 400. So if, if you don't rent out that house and, and offset those costs, you've got to generate an incremental 3,500, 30, 32 to 3,500 per 
per month in order to cover those costs well, with that. So this is where being military also may help because it is a, they're moving us there. So they will pay for housing. And I, so that would help cover housing costs that you leave behind. Okay. So they're going to cover housing costs in, course, in Europe. But we've always tried okay, to but take fair enough, advantage but then... of still paring down so that we can pocket as much as of that as we can so that we're not frivolously spending it. But um, yeah, it's it's been a tough sell to him to... I mean, I was thinking even maybe we have a detached garage, maybe we can rent out just, you know, a storage space um, or something. But I, I'm on I'm on the same page as you. I feel like we should be doing something with this huge expense. I've seen you can rent out your pool. Yeah, you could rent out a lot of spots. <laughs> Get a storage sorry, unit. <laughs> I think that's right. And I think, I think it's like, I think it's fair to say, Hey, you know, I don't want somebody sleeping in my bed or on those types of things. So you could always hire movers for two, 3000 bucks or whatever that costs both sides of that. Um, you know, and then put it into self-storage or into your garage, um, reset it with, with something that's really cheap. Um, it, it just depends on how long or how, how far you want to go with that. If you're going to be gone for six months, then that doesn't make sense. But if you think this is going to set you up for a long-term retirement, you want to be there for two years, then that that's probably a very good move to, to do that kind of stuff. And you can probably furnish the place lately. Um, you know, or, or, or there's probably some combination of things you really don't want your the tenants um to to deal with some things that you're fine with them using and some things that are in, in between with mm -hmm. that but you know that that is a big i think that's a that's probably a a 30 to 60 70 thousand dollar decision yeah agreed yeah. um with that in the car yeah i would i would lean towards showing him the the stark numbers hey this is how much it's going to cost us to leave this house bare this is what we could generate and, you know, let's say you have a five bedroom house, you could lock one bedroom up with all the good stuff and just put a big lock on there so nobody gets in there. And then you've still got the rest of the house. It's nice. They can take care of it. I haven't heard too many horror stories about traveling nurses being slobs. I've heard a lot of really nice stories. They're they're just there to sleep. They go and they work and then they leave and they go to another place and they're just there to sleep. It's not like you're renting to, and it's a nice area. So it's going to be, you're going to generate a different type of uh, tenant than a tenant in a, like a rougher neighborhood. Yeah, it would be interesting though. I mean, it would certainly either be room, rent by the room because there are five bedrooms or four if we use one for storage, or it would be a traveling nurse with her family, you know, his or her family, not to <laughs> be gender biased there. <laughs> Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems like an odd unit to rent yeah, because of the size. Well, and you don't know exactly how long you're going to be in Europe. You would hate to rent it out for a whole year, get to Europe and be like, Ooh, we're leaving as soon as we can. <laughs> right. Okay. This one ran really, really long, but I think we covered a lot of really kind of high level and, Everybody considers this level questions. Like there's a lot of people who are like, ooh, how am I going to retire? How am I going to pull the plug when I actually get there? And people are along the journey saying, oh, I, as soon as I get there, I'm going to pull the plug. Once you get there, it can be very, very scary. And it doesn't matter how set you are, how qualified you are. 
if your number is 1 million and you get there and you're like, mm, maybe 2 million would be better. <laughs> yeah. You get to 2 million and maybe 3 million would be better. There, yeah. It's called one year, one more year syndrome. You Absolutely. can always work one more year. They'll let you. <laughs> you can always work one more year. But when you quit, I am going to look into my crystal ball, which is also a hindsight ball because my husband said this three years ago when he left. I wish I would have done this sooner. I bet within six months, you say, I should have done this sooner. And that is fine. You need to get to the position where you are comfortable retiring. Because I can sit here forever and tell you, I think that you are ready. I think financially you are set. I can say, I mean, if I was in your position, I would say, I know I am financially set. I'm not going to say that to you because... The contents of this podcast are institutional <laughs> in nature and are not legal or tax advice. I don't see any way, unless the entire world just blows up because the sun explodes, I don't see any way that you are going to fail in your retirement with the systems that you've set up. But you have to be confident too. So I think we've covered a lot of things. I think a lot of people are sitting here saying, I get it. I get it. I get where she's coming from. Other people just starting on their journey are like, what is she talking about? She already has 4 million. She's (laughs) fine. But they're not you. It doesn't matter what they're saying. All that matters is you. So you and your husband need to have a money date. Have a conversation. Talk about it. And put all of your money to the side and only spend his. And see that it'll work. Test it out. And in yeah, three months, and then that really helped, you know, just to talk through what the 4% rule was. You, You know, like, for the longest time, as you're going through the journey, you get good at the savings part and then you get good at the investing part and all of that. Like I get it and I'm, I'm rolling along and I know how to do that. But then you get to the closer to the end state or what some people might think is the end state. And you're like, but I don't know how to do this part. And it may seem like it's like a natural, well, if you have the money, you spend it and you go. But how do I access it? How do I spend it without overspending it or, you know, doing it to my detriment? And then I've got nothing for my kids or, you know, at 60, I need to go back to work and <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Our net worth has increased since we retired. And yes, I have a job. We haven't been pulling out of the uh, funds, but our net worth has increased a lot since he retired. Did I say since I retired? I meant since he retired. I still have a job. Yeah, I was going to say, hoping, hoping that there was no news today. Um, we can't handle any hey, more Scott, news. let's talk Don't after the show. Yeah. <laughs> no, our net worth has uh, increased um, rather significantly since he retired. And it isn't, you know, it, 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 it the stock market has been going crazy. Yeah. And I just, I, I have a lot of faith in Bill Bangan and his 4% rule. I think we've kind of covered everything. I want to hear back from you after you no longer are employed. Yeah, certainly. And see how it worked out. <laughs> see how you came to terms with the, the separation. See how, see if you took my suggestion to put your money to the side and see if you could live off of without your funds and see the results of you and your husband's money dates. 
and just all of the things. I'm very excited for this. All right. Yeah, me too. So a few more months and <laughs> I'm nervous, but I'm, I'm excited too. <laughs> okay. Nervous excitement. Okay. Well, that's awesome. So we'll check in with you in three to six months. Okay. Okay, great. Well, we Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay. Okay, that was Jen and her amazing story. I want to, as you were talking in the intro, Scott, I thought to myself, you know, we should have a discussion in the Facebook group about all of these terms. If you are listening and you have, you're newer to the site, you're newer to the show, you're newer to these some of these concepts, ask some questions in our Facebook group. Hey, what does DST mean? That stands for Delaware Statutory Trust. I don't really know anything more about that except what it stands for, but it's some sort of advanced investment strategy. And I will start off the Facebook group conversation by saying, hey, what's a DST? Somebody who's smarter than me can come in there and tell me what it is. So uh, if you have a question about today's show, please hop in the Facebook groups, facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. And let's chat about these high level investment strategies that Jen is doing. All right. Well, we went really long today. So Mindy, should we just go ahead and get out of here? From episode 264 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, I am Mindy Jensen and he is Scott Trench saying, be sweet parakeet. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.